So if you would, uh, if you have your Bibles and your, or your electronic device, whatever you're looking at scripture on, if you'll kind of keep that out, we'll be back and forth in looking at this passage. And uh, I've got a lot of my references in that text printed out here in my notes in front of me, but I think it'd probably be helpful as I'm talking about that for you to be able to glance back down at the text uh, while I'm talking and then I'll kind of help uh, immerse ourselves where that's what we're doing this morning. We're kind of immersing ourselves in the text as we think about this particular story. And I want to talk about uh, sacrifice in the New Testament. Sacrifice in the New Testament, and, and it's a little bit different. And the difference between sacrifice in the Old Testament and uh, sacrifice in the New Testament, in that in the New Testament, it's not about which animal on which occasion that you're supposed to sacrifice or how you're supposed to sacrifice that animal. Uh, uh, it, it's really about how God has closed off blood sacrifice, okay? God closed off blood sacrifice with the death of Jesus uh, when, he, uh, when he died for us. And, and so the idea of sacrifice is still there in the New Testament. Uh, it's still active, and we're going to talk about that, but it's no longer a blood sacrifice. In fact, uh, Davis is... Davis, raise your hand. Where are you? Uh, he's, getting the key to the he's getting the key to the playground. He will be back. Davis can take you right to the place in the book of Hebrews, I promise you, that, that talks about where God has closed off, okay, uh, blood sacrifice through the death of Jesus. And so sacrifice in the New Testament really becomes the offering of ourselves, all right? Jesus offered himself once for all. Uh, and that closed off having to uh, uh, shed blood in the, for the atonement of sin. Uh, but we offer ourselves in the New Testament uh, to God through Christ uh, in submission, in humility. Um, and so it's less of build an altar, right, and more of get on the altar. And that's the difference between sacrifice in the Old Testament and sacrifice in the New Testament. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, uh, as you look at the beginning of this chapter, John uh, 12, verse 1, notice that John starts this, this, uh, this section with a reference to six days. It's a time reference, and it's six days before the Passover. This is literally the beginning of the last week of Jesus' life. And what's remarkable about that is that we're only, we've only covered 11 chapters in John's gospel. There's 21 chapters. There's 10 chapters left in John's gospel. We're barely halfway through. We've just crossed that center line, and we're already in the last week of Jesus' life. And that's because we have to understand that while the gospels are, are they're biographical, they're not biography. The Gospels aren't written to tell us about the life of Jesus, to, to, to talk about what his childhood was like and, and what it was like being a teenager and growing up in, in Judea and living in, in, in Nazareth for all of those years and what it was, what it was kind of like before he, he went and, and got uh, baptized by John uh, at the river and began his public ministry. Uh, it's not about the scope of Jesus' life. There are, there are details about Jesus' life and about Jesus' teaching which are in the Gospels, and this applies to all four Gospels, but the Gospels are really written to talk about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and that's why at the halfway mark of John's Gospel, we're in the last week of Jesus' life, because he's, he's getting to the point of why he's writing. Uh, so the coming death of Jesus begins to take center stage right here as we start chapter 12, and that kind of brings us to the first big idea on sacrifice. As we get to the story uh, of Mary... Who, um, who's, who kind of gives this, this, this bottle of nard and 
um, and, and, and she uses that to anoint Jesus, all right? And uh, so the sacrifice of Mary causes us really to check our hearts about, uh, about the stuff that we own, all right? It, it causes us to check our hearts about the stuff we own. And, and uh, uh, well, let me just kind of jump in that. Because this, this is an interesting story. As you're looking at those verses in the, in the, in the text in front of you, um, they're, at, they're at a dinner party. The dinner party is kind of in honor of Lazarus, who in the, in the chapter before, Jesus raised him from the dead, right? Uh, and so it's kind of a party in honor of Lazarus, and they're gathered there. Lazarus' family is gathered there. In the other Gospels, it actually says it's not at their house. It's at the house of another guy named Simon the leper, obviously a leper that, that Jesus had, had healed, one of those lepers that uh, was no longer a leper anymore. And so they're, they're having a party. It's at this house, and, and Jesus is there, and his disciples there, and Lazarus is there, and Martha is there doing what she does. She is serving, and, and Mary... Uh, as she was in the other places in the gospel, was more focused on Jesus. And so she takes this expensive bottle of nard, and nard was, was a plant, it was a spice, it produced a very sweet-smelling oil, and in fact, the good stuff was produced in India. Okay, so when they talk about a bottle of pure nard, expensive bottle there, they're talking about something which even 2,000 years ago was imported from India back into, uh, into Palestine for people who could afford those kinds of things. Uh, and she, she took it. Um, it, was a, it says it was a pound. Uh, that's a Roman pound. That's about 12 ounces. And so it would have been something about this size, about the volume of a can of Coke, okay? So not very big, but very expensive. Um, and she, she took it and she, she poured it on Jesus. Uh, and in the other, it just talks about his feet here, but in the other gospels, she poured it on his head, she poured it on his body. Uh, and because she poured the whole bottle on him, it ran all the way down to her feet. And she undid her hair, which a Hebrew woman never did in public. Uh, because that was something that only her husband would see her with her hair down or her, or her children in the privacy of her own home. Uh, she undid her hair and um, she wiped the excess oil off of her. And so it was, it's a very personal story, but it's a very public story because she did it in, in public. But this would have been socially inappropriate. Socially inappropriate for a woman who was not married to a man uh, to touch him, socially inappropriate for her to let her hair down in public, but she doesn't care about that. She doesn't care about the social rules because she's just caught up in this moment, this moment in the adoration of Jesus, um, and she just kind of lets it go. It would be a lot like the time that uh, in the Old Testament where David is bringing the ark into Jerusalem, the ark of the covenant, the ark that held the Ten Commandments, the ark that was kind of, uh, that went into the Holy of Holies uh, in the tabernacle and would go into the Holy of Holies in the temple when it got built. And he followed, David followed the ark in as, as they carried the ark in on procession and he danced behind the ark in joy. But somewhere along the way, he lost his robe and he just had his linen undergarment on. And it was socially inappropriate, but he didn't care. It was just the moment that he was in. And the point is made about the cost of this. 
And so how expensive is this perfume? And, it, and it's hard to do direct comparisons because we're, we're separated by oceans and continents. We're separated by culture. We're separated by 2,000 years of time. And so our, it's hard to look at our economy in America today and say, how much would this cost today? Because if you go by the fact that it cost 300 denarii, and denarii was uh, a silver coin, and it was a day's, a, a day's wage, minimum wage. If you worked all day long, you got one of these silver coins, and, and the, the day was probably from sunup to sundown, and it was worth 300 of these, 300 days of minimum wage. And so if you brought that into America today and you used America, and again, our economy's good, our minimum wage is one of the highest in the world, uh, not like some third world countries, but th then you're talking about something at 300 days minimum wage, you're talking about something that would be like $17,000 $17, and 400, something like that at our current minimum wage. Now that seems kind of high, but if you, if you go by the price of the silver, okay, and so it's 300 pieces of silver, a denarius was about four and a half grams of silver. If you took 300 of those at today's prices, you're looking at about $1,050. And so somewhere between that 1,050 and the 17,000, which is a $16,000 gap, understand I'm giving you a big window here, right? Uh, somewhere in there is the price of this perfume equivocally, equivocably today. And if you landed somewhere about two or $3,000, you're probably pretty close, as close as we can get. Uh, in, in, in our culture, in our comparison. And, and it's important to remember that wealth in those days, wealth was not money in the bank. Wealth was not how much stock you owned or what your net worth was and those kinds of things. Uh, wealth in those days was determined by the land that you owned and the livestock that you owned and then a few singular possessions of great or outstanding value. That's how you determined wealth in those particular days. And so it's a very tangible thing that she is parting with um, now, where does she get this, 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 this perfume? It could have been part of her dowry, right? Something that had been set aside for her for when she got married because Mary, the sister of Lazarus, is, is not married at this particular point. But I think it's also pretty credible to believe since they just buried Lazarus in the last chapter uh, that it was something that was bought to put on his body. Uh, because they would often put spices and sweet-smelling things on bodies uh, because in their burial process is a little bit different from ours. They didn't embalm. They didn't do those kinds of things. Uh, they would put a body out literally on a slab, usually inside of a cave or an enclosure to try to, to, to rein the smell in a little bit. And then after the body had decayed, they had things called uh, ossuaries, which are bone boxes, and they would collect maybe something about the size of this podium square. They would collect those bones and put the bones inside the box and seal the box and put it up on the shelf. And then the tomb was ready for the next family member uh, who needed to be buried. So a little bit different process than what we go through. But because of that, because that process was allowing the body to decay, they would often put things on the body when they buried it. In fact, when we, when we get to the part where we're, we're looking at the, the burial of Jesus and the morning of his resurrection, and we see that some of the, the ladies are going to, uh, to the tomb uh, to actually do something like that for Jesus because they buried him in a rush, and they wanted to, to, to put some more spices on his body. So very common practice in their day. But you know the odd thing about this passage, all of that's pretty straightforward, all of that's just historical, um, 
The other odd thing about this passage is that Jesus is kind of in the background in the story. This, this, the whole John 12, 1 through 8, it's not, it's not really about Jesus. And that's kind of odd for John's gospel. Uh, and, and Jesus is there. Obviously, he's the one who's getting anointed. And, and he does say something at the end there in defense of Mary. But this is really a contrast between Mary and Judas. That's what these verses are about. It's a contrast between Mary and Judas. Um, uh, Mary is sacrificing this expensive bottle of perfume to anoint Jesus as the Messiah on the evening before he rides into Jerusalem uh, in what we call the triumphant entry on the, on, the, on the back of a colt, very symbolic, to announce himself publicly for the very first time that he is the Messiah. And Judas, as John describes him here, is just feeling the loss of cash that's not going into the bag that he had control over. Uh, so there's a heart issue here. So all of that historical background to get it out of the way, just so we can kind of understand what's going on, there's a heart issue here that's revealed about how we treasure our possessions, guys. And that's where I'm really getting to. If you're wondering what I'm doing with all of this, all of this maneuvering around, it is, is, what is what do we do with the possessions, with the stuff that we value? Um, do we love the world and the stuff of the world and the things of the world more than we love God. That's where this particular passage uh, is going. Uh, do we love the security that having things like this brings us in our life? So the retirement account or the, uh, or, or the lake home or, or the whatever else it is, the emergency fund that we have in the bank or the, or the cash that we keep stuffed in the sock in our drawer that we pull out in case there's an emergency or, or the, you know, the secret bunker that we have buried in our backyard underneath the gazebo. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> um, and as I was thinking about this passage, you know, am I storing up treasure for me on earth? Okay, is that what I'm doing with my life? Am I storing up treasure for me? Um, whether that's my tools or my books or my clothes or anything else that I've, I've become fascinated with at the time? And would I be willing to sacrifice these for the glory of God if an opportunity arose? Okay, that's where we're at. That's what we're talking about in this particular passage. And it's an interesting footnote that in Matthew's account in chapter 26 of this evening, Judas, Judas leaves here. He leaves from here directly to go to the Pharisees to make the deal to betray Jesus for the 30 pieces of silver. So it's about where our heart is. It's a heart issue. So let's talk about the next big idea in here because this, this story with, with, with Mary and, and her anointing of Jesus kind of sets the stage for everything that we're seeing here. And so we move down into verses 20 through 24, and they're a little bit, they're a little bit less narrative-driven. They're a little bit more about the teaching of Jesus and what, what, what he's doing there. And so the second point there is that Jesus sacrifices himself for us. Now, we, we kind of get that. We talk about that a lot at church, but, but Jesus talks about that in a very particular way. Uh, I'm going to start reading again in verse 23. It says, And Jesus answered them. It says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And truly I say to you that unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You know, another thing that John points out in this text in verse 20 is that you have these, these Greeks, these Gentiles, who 
who have just kind of showed up. They're looking for this, this guy named Jesus. They're looking for this guy who rode into town in a big way, who was proclaimed to be the Jewish Messiah in doing that. And so, and so they're curious. They're coming to Jesus. And we don't have any record of that conversation. We don't even know really for sure if Jesus ever spoke to them. We just have Jesus' reaction to the fact that these Gentiles want to speak with him. And his reaction is, he says, now my time has come. This is it. Now it is time has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Um, in chapter 2, when Mary, Jesus' mother, another Mary, wanted him to, uh, to, to do something about the fact that they've run out of wine, his reply to her was, my time isn't here yet. And in chapter 7, when things are going on there and they're, they're pursuing him about maybe becoming king or not becoming king, that's coming out of chapter 6, Jesus looks at them and he says, my time is not here yet. But when the Gentiles show up who want to have a conversation with him, Jesus knows he is, this is the time. And, he, and then he, so he, he talks about his death with a proverb, a proverb, right? He says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, wheat just has two paths, guys. One, one path after wheat is grown is it gets eaten, right? That's why we grow wheat. Wheat is kind of, wheat produces bread, and bread is kind of that staple crop that keeps a lot of people alive across the world. In fact, they're already predicting now a famine in Africa because of what's going on in Ukraine, and they're such a huge producer of wheat for the world. So they're already predicting a famine is coming. There's going to be a shortage of wheat because of that. But the other path for wheat is that it, it's, it's used for seed. So the, the downside of, of that is that if you don't set aside part of your wheat for seed, then next year you won't have a crop and you won't have any bread next year. And But for that wheat to grow, it's got to do what? It's got to go into the ground. You've got to save it. You've got to not eat it and you've got to plant it in the ground. And I don't know if you've ever put a seed in the ground or tried to grow anything, but what happens to that seed is that it sits in that moist soil and it starts to decompose and it breaks down that outer shell and, and, and it soaks up the moisture inside of that. And that actually causes, the seed's worthless. You can't eat it after that. It's ruined. It's completely gone. But what happens inside of that seed then is that it ignites the part of that seed that's designed to grow and then it it explodes and it pushes through that thin shell that's left and it produces a plant. And so Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it's just a seed, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So how is the Son of Man going to be glorified? It's by dying. He's going to die. And but in dying, he's going to bring forth much fruit. Okay? By establishing a way back to God, there are going to be many people who find God again for the very first time. And, and by giving up his life on earth, many of us were going to have a life in eternity because of what Jesus did. And the fruit, the result of his death, guys, it's still being produced 2,000 years after that time. People are still finding God. They're still uh, grasping the gift that he gave us in his atonement for sin, being the last blood sacrifice. We're still harvesting wheat from this seed, and the door is still open to find God. And this is the sacrifice that ends all sacrifice, right? Ends animal sacrifices. It's, it's the last blood that had to be shed to atone for sin, and it was enough. It was completely enough. It was so much so that Jesus on the cross 
before he took his last breath, cried out, it is finished. It is done. And John has plenty to say about the death of Jesus. But he's got nine more chapters to tell us about it. What John is really saying to us in this passage about the death of Jesus is that it's no accident. It wasn't a mob who, who decided they, they got tired of what Jesus had to say and that they rushed in and crucified him. And it wasn't a group of religious leaders who, who, who thought that Jesus has proclaiming himself the Messiah was going to threaten their position and their power and their authority. And it wasn't uh, some weak or wicked Roman ruler who thought that Jesus was just an inconvenience and, and that somebody needed to do something about him. He needed to get out of the way. Jesus wasn't blindsided by his rejection. He wasn't blindsided by the fact that he was going to suffer and die. Jesus chose to go to the cross because it would produce fruit like the world had never seen before. And we are that fruit. We are that fruit. And the story of his sacrifice, guys, is the good news that we share. And every time that we share the gospel, which is the good news, and God transforms a life, the impact of Jesus' sacrifice just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. But Jesus applies this idea of sacrifice in another area. He just doesn't stop there. Um, what is the old phrase? He's quit preaching and gone to meddling now. Well, Jesus quit preaching and he went to meddling. Because following Jesus, and this is big idea number three, following Jesus means that we, we make sacrifices as well to follow him. Look at verses 25 and 26 again with me. He says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And Jesus doesn't just stop by predicting his death. He starts talking to us. He starts talking about us. And he's not really talking about Mary, but even though she kind of illustrated everything that Jesus is talking about uh, by giving up her one valuable possession. Let me just say it, let me just say it out loud here, guys. You, you, you can't... You can't love your life in this world more than you love Jesus. You can't. It's alluring. And, and, and the honest truth is, here in America, we live a pretty good life. We have a very high standard of living. We have people who are in poverty, but our people in poverty are heads and tails way above people who are in poverty in third world countries. We were talking about minimum wage. There are people in countries where in a year they make about $300 or $400 or $500 US dollars. That's their annual salary. We have a good life. But guys, we can't love this world. We can't love this life more than we love Jesus and be a follower of Jesus. It just doesn't work. We love our stuff, and we cling to our stuff for security, and we cling to this life. Even though we preach and we sing 
and we talk about heaven and eternity, we just tend to cling to this life and not want to let go. And part of that, guys, is the fact that God has put a, a will inside of us to live. He's put a will inside of us to survive, and that's okay. But if we're honest, if we're really honest, there's a part of that is, is that we still love this world and we don't want to let it go. I'm old enough now, I not only have kids, I have grandkids. And, and, and for those of you who are young and you don't have families yet or you have just have little kids, let me just say, if you're here this morning and you have little ones, man, go ahead and tolerate your kids because grandkids are great. <laughs> your kids are worth it for grandkids, I promise you. And I love my grandkids, but I can't love my grandkids. I can't love hanging around them and being around them more than I love Jesus. You know, David said something in his message last week that and I want to remind you about it because it syncs so well with what Jesus is saying here. And I don't remember what his exact words were, but what I wrote down was, submission to God is not defined by agreeing with God. Submission to God is not defined by agreeing with God. In other words, we're, we don't, uh, submission is not just obeying the things that we like that Jesus taught. It's not just obeying the things that we think are reasonable that Jesus taught. It's not just doing the things that we think we're capable of that Jesus taught. Submission to God is simply doing what Christ asked us to do, regardless of any of those things. It's giving up our version, guys. It's giving up our vision for what our life should be like and what is good for our life, and instead just doing and submitting to God's plan. Jesus is not asking for our money. Jesus is not asking for our expensive possessions. Jesus is asking for our lives. I want you to think about that for a second. Because what we tend to do in America is that we tend to develop our plan for our life. And at some point we realize that we need something spiritual going on. And so we want to add Jesus to what we're already doing. We want to add Jesus to our plan. We want to kind of buffer the possibility that maybe there is an eternal life out there. That maybe there is something that happens after death. And we come up with this vision. So we want to add Jesus to what we're doing. Guys, Jesus is not asking you to add him to what you're already doing he's asking you to do what he is doing he's not asking us to build a new or a different kind of altar he's asking us to crawl up on an altar and offer ourselves as paul says in romans 12:1 present your bodies a living sacrifice Verse 26, he says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. You know what would be weird? Is that if you owned a business and you hired an assistant to help you in your business, but your assistant just worked on his stuff instead of your stuff. Wouldn't that be weird? But sometimes I feel like that's the bargain we're trying to make with God. We still want to work on our stuff. And the question I have to ask myself is, am I following Jesus or pursuing my plan for my life? You know, I, 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 got, a, I got a phone call this week from, uh, uh, it was from a nursing home. And uh, there was an older person on the other line, and so there was a lot of pause and... 
Uh, I could tell that there was, there was some, some time required for them to collect the thought, to get the right words out so that they could ask me the question that they wanted to ask. And uh, I had a difficult time understanding them. And they were looking for someone. And in the course of that early conversation, I didn't think that was me. And so I was kind of tempted to say, okay, look, I think you got the wrong number. Um, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to excuse myself and hang up and move on with my day. It was, it, it was kind of, uh, it was on Wednesday when I got the phone call and uh, we'd just done the, the service for Chris and I was supposed to be working on this message and I wasn't nearly as far along as I had hoped to be. My plan was off schedule. My, my schedule was kind of out of kilter there. And so I was like, I was kind of looking for a way to, to kind of end this conversation and move on. And the, the older guy on the other end of the line, he asked me, if I knew William Davis, and I'm thinking, William Davis, William Davis, I don't, I don't know a William Davis, and so I said no, and, uh, uh, but I stayed on the line because he kept talking, uh, you know, just to be polite, you know, uh, here's an older person, and maybe they're a little bit confused, and, and I don't know what they're looking for, and I don't really know where they're at, and so I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, that, that if, if I stay on there, maybe there's something I can help them with. Uh, even though I had to yell my responses back. I'm, so I'm yelling on the phone because he can't hear me. He literally can't hear what's going on. And I'm, 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 I'm screaming back at him, don't laugh, honey. I, she thinks I'm deaf, by the way. So, um, uh, and, and it, but it eventually dawned on me who I was talking to. It was Bill Davis. And I know Bill Davis. I know Bill Davis very well, and I had, uh, I had sat down and had conversations with me. Bill Davis, is, who was a retired pastor, he pastored for a long time, and then he retired. And, and then in retirement, God kind of spoke to his heart and said, you need to, you need to be working on, on, on starting churches. And so he, he, he felt compelled that he should be he starting churches in other countries and other nations. And so he created a nonprofit called Church Starts International, and he created a, a series of Bible studies for door-to-door for -door evangelism to go down and knock on people's door down there in Guatemala and, 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 and tell them that, the, that they'll give them a free New Testament if they'll do these, these four studies, uh, four nights in a row on, on Jesus and his life and, and who he was. And, and, and they were planning churches out of this. Uh, and Bill, he asked me to come see him. He says, will you come see me? And so, uh, again, I was a little bit reluctant because it was a hectic week. And I was like, oh, I hate to promise to, uh, uh, to, to come see this person. But I did because I, I just felt like I couldn't turn him down. And so I, uh, the next day on Thursday, I went to the nursing home. And, and Bill is a talker. Uh, and I don't know how long I was there, but as we, we talked along, uh, I realized that he wasn't really there to reminisce with me. He hadn't called and asked me to come visit him because he was lonely. Uh, he's still talking about church planning. Uh, in his words, uh, even though he was from Texas up here in Parker County, God found him in California while he was, had started his own business there and he was running the secular job and God saved him and God called him into ministry and he's been in ministry all of these years. He had a full career of pastoring, and then he retired, and then he had a second full career doing church planning and, 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 and uh, international mission stuff and strategizing that. And he's, he's, he's bound to a wheelchair now, and he really can't hear very much at all. And, and, and there were times at which to answer his question, I just nodded my head really big because I couldn't yell loud enough or, or felt like I was yelling too much. But he, he gave his life to Christ and he figures he's still alive because God wants him to keep working. And so I asked him, I said, Bill, how old are you? He said, I'm 96 
and a half years old. And he, he called me to come see him because he's still trying to leverage planting churches and doing evangelism from the nursing home at 96 and a half years old. Guys, faith is, is not something that we do on the side or, or something to supplement our plan for our lives. Following Christ involves sacrifice. It involves submission. And it involves commitment. Commitment not to our plan, but commitment to God's plan. And, and, and you know what inspires me about Bill is not just that he, he gave up his successful business in California to follow Christ and, and do what he did. It, it, it's the fact that he's, he's still following Jesus wholeheartedly from a wheelchair in a nursing home at 96 years old. Uh, he just inspires me to be faithful in following Jesus. You know, sacrifice, it, it, it looks different in the New Testament than it does in the Old Testament. It, it, it tests our hearts, guys. It tests our hearts with what we choose to love. It, it, it tests our hearts for what we choose to obey and who we choose to follow. Um, you know, today we're, we're going to celebrate this sacrifice of Jesus in two different ways. We have two ordinances as a church here. One of those is communion and one of those is baptism. And we're going to do both of those today. We're going to do baptism first. But uh, in a moment, I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing two songs like we normally would. So if you've been here, this is going to be normal. But during those two songs, uh, that's your opportunity. If you're, if you're a, a disciple of Jesus Christ and you're following him, whether you're a member of this church or not, we invite you to participate with us as a believer in Christ. And if you're just here and you're in those stages of exploring Christianity, we kind of just ask you to watch and, and just observe what we're doing uh, because this is, this is a, a testimony of what God has done inside your heart and inside your life. And, and if you're not there yet, that, that's okay. Um, but we're, we're going to celebrate that particular piece. In, in the same way that we wouldn't ask you to get baptized if you weren't a follower of Christ yet, we're going to ask you to wait on communion as well. Um, but we're going to, during these two songs that we're singing, if you're participating in communion, this is going to be your time to come forward and get those communion packets. We have, them, we have four tables set up here, two in the front and two in the back. Uh, you're, we're going to do that in these next two songs, and then we're going to hold on to those and wait. And Cody's going to lead us through baptism, and then he's going to lead us in celebration of supper. And in both of these, guys, both of these are symbols that we believe help us to recognize the sacrifice of Jesus for us.